Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Welcome to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. After a few of the visits and bad news about lost friends, I began to feel that I hadn't just been lucky, but was a survivor of a major tragedy. That's right, Jim. I'm halfway through um, uh, Sledgehammer's book. You're loving by, it. By God. What what a book. What a book. Yep. Um, well, I think I think this Thursday we should get the, um, should get the, the chat I had with Saul and Henry yeah. Sledge out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Since we're in that mood, yeah, it's yeah, a brilliant yeah. book. I haven't read it for a decade or so, but it's um, it's. I do remember finding it incredibly, well, what, um, what's really... profoundly moving, and just sort of the brutality of it all. And it's, I think, the thing is because it's so it's so close and personal, isn't it? Yeah, all it's miles fighting. away. It's miles away from British accounts from the fifties and sixties, where you know he had a bit of a bust <laughs> up with Jerry, and uh, everything was all right. I mean, even even if you compare it to um. Uh, other like the English English accounts, right? Or British accounts don't yeah. seem to get quite. I mean, there's this bit where he says, "I sat down and I just started crying, and the tears poured out of me, and I couldn't, you know." And and then my mate said to me, "It's okay, Sledge. We're all going through it. Hold yourself together. It'll all be all right, right?" You you it, like for instance, if you compare that to um. Recollections of Rifleman Bowlby. There's never a moment like that in that book, even though I think he's going through the same stuff. But, it's intimated in Rifleman Bowlby, though, that he's having he's struggling yeah, at but, various but he times. Never, but he doesn't have. But the, he doesn't, he doesn't say, say as boldly as that. And that's what no. I think so amazing about this book is that is uh, uh, about the old with the old breed. It's because he just just he's just telling it. He's he's not. And, and maybe it's, it's a simple cultural difference. Like a British account is that little bit more buttoned up and a tiny bit more reserved and holding a little bit more back. You're not wanting to not wanting to upset or whatever. But this is, I mean, the, the extent to which this is unvarnished is kind of a, is kind of amazing. Well, and, I, um, I, my my theory is is that when people are writing writing memoirs for themselves, yeah, they're really good. Yeah, <laughs> and when they're writing for an audience, they're just a bit too knowing and just yeah. a bit too kind yeah. of sort of. It's a horrendous, a horrendous incident where. Um, well, yeah, but also well, because he he absolutely was horrendous. Fighting the Japanese on these islands yeah. was horrific because it's so close. But there's this horrendous bit where um, they're being infiltrated and they they see some people and then someone someone's out in no man's land and a soldier yeah. goes out and shoots them, kills them. Shoots them in yep. the head, and it's one oh of yes, their isn't own. it's the wrong person, one of their own, yeah. and he knows who's done it, and they say we must never speak of this again, yeah. um, and he says he's grave, you know, says yep. killed in action, and we all know mm. why, and we all know who did it, and we all know how, mm. and, and and I I don't again I don't know if you'd find that in a because that's yep. that's that's the kind of that's like. And obviously, he, he, he makes sure everyone everyone in that is anonymous, and he makes sure it's not known. You know, he, he tidies it up so that there are no names attached. But it's the most it's the most horrendous thing. And to include that, to say this is the kind of thing that went on, 
this is the things we these are the things we did. I think he's um. This, this, well, I mean, the rule is, isn't it? If you if you if you're moving around at night, if you're getting out of your foxhole at night, yeah, you're. Well, because st- just before that, it's the thing where he thinks where where, where he thinks and thinks it is. But yeah, and there's that scuffle. Was that scuffle? Yeah, exactly. he's about to kill someone, and, and he says, "I thought Sledge, I thought you knew it was me. I thought you knew it would be me." And it's um, it's it's one of it's one of his one of his closest. Isn't that when some of the one of them one of them one of the guys is asleep? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, the, so, the, the the guys asleep when 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 um when uh the, the when they you know the the I mean because it's not friendly fire. He goes out and shoots him in the goes out and shoots him in the head. Crawls out there and shoots this guy in the head. And then they realise it's a marine. Yeah, the, the other the other fellow's asleep in his foxhole. So um as as fallen asleep on watch. So they so they they're not they're not it's not being dealt with. You know they're. It's one of those things that they've just had to let it go. But there's the other instant where one of his mates comes over and goes, I thought you realised it was me. And he's about mm. to shoot him with his carbine yep. right right yep. there in front of him. And yep. the guy goes, Sledgehammer, it's, it's me. And he's, uh, and hasn't said the password, hasn't done yep. what he's meant to do. And if you leave your foxhole, you can expect to be shot. And ju- I just think the way he's prepared to... Re- the fact that he's prepared to tell us this and prepared mm. to tell us about that... Um, and it... And, and, you know, we had a fantastic chat last week with Andy Aitchison about um, with the jocks, and we got we got really got talking about the sort of, you know, the soft the software aspect of the the people. How do you get the people to do this? How do you get people to do this stuff? People have still got to do this stuff for all your preponderance and all your allied material wealth and dominance. You still have to go in uh, and. A kill the enemy and B not be killed by the enemy and C not be killed in the alarms and excursions that go with the fir- those first two things, and I think a friend of mine's reading Chindit as well. I sent a friend of mine um, Chindit, um, you know, because we've got these we've got these reprints, these um, these incredible things that Penguin have done. Uh, um, you know, and I, I don't know if if you're a patron, you'll know about the Richard Rose James. Um, book Chindit, which we've we, which is an, a memoir a friend of mine found and we've had reprinted and there's the alan moorhead eclipse which is sort of ju- a journalistic well first... we should talk about each of these a little In fact, bit we ought but, to we but... ought to we, we really ought to um it's really pushing me back to going and i i know phillips pace and o'brien is right right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right i know he's right but we've there's still you've still got to color in the 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 how do you make? How do men do this? How do? How are men persuaded to do this? How do men? How do men hold themselves together? You know, this is very much a theme of what I'm doing at the moment. You know, I mean, I've literally just started in the last week doing doing the casino book. Yeah, and you know, on my de- my desk at the moment is carnage because I've just got yeah. papers and folders and yeah. the great big fat. Germany yeah. and the Second World War, Volume Eight, yeah. open. Yeah, various Italian stuff. It's just. It's exactly that. It's just, it's so awful. <laughs> it's yeah. just so awful. Yeah. And uh, I, I sent you my little prologue, which I, I wrote yeah, the other yeah, day, which, you know, which, which is, well, thank you. But I, I you know, I, I wanted to just have this little, little moment of sort of almost calm yeah. <laughs> before it all kicks off. And everyone knows it's going to kick off and everyone knows it's going to yeah. be horrendous because there's lots of mountains. Yeah. And all I'm thinking about at the moment... It's the human experience of war, if yeah. I'm honest. Yeah. 
and I'm just thinking also about the Italian. You know, right now this morning, I've been writing about the uh, about the, just the awful dilemma the Italians find themselves in. And you know, I, obviously, there's very very little sympathy for the for the senior commanders. Yeah, but a huge amount of sympathy for the Italian people. Yeah, and you know, what do you do because? You can't, you, you know, you, you, your country's absolutely finished. You, you, you're completely broken, materially, physically, <laughs> you know, yeah, mentally. Italy is shot. Yeah, you've got to get out of the war. Yeah, but the Germans know you're about to get out of the war, so they're flooding troops in, and you know there's absolutely not a chance in hell that they're going to acquiesce and kind of go. Do you know yeah. what? Actually, we've had a bit of enough of this as well, so we'll we'll, yeah. we'll pull up the flag. Yeah, 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 Tell yeah. you what, we'll we'll just calmly retreat back the other side of the Alps. That's just not going to happen. What's going to happen when they realise is it's going to be very immediate and it's going to be incredibly violent. Yeah, yeah. And at I, the same time, how do you kind of how do you know whether you can trust the Allies? Yeah, when well, you're negotiating you, with them. Well, you don't. You don't. Which you if, don't. You don't because if you look at actually, if you look at how the Allies have, have um, dealt with, say, Vichy France, you know you can't. You know you can't trust them because some of the Allies are trying to cut a deal with Vichy France. Some of the Allies aren't. You know, the British don't, yep. British aren't interested. The Americans, Americans are trying, go lukewarm on it. You know, I mean, I, I mean, that that's actually, that's actually a really, that's actually a really good point, isn't it? If you look yeah. at, you look at, if you're the, if you're a pure, you know, if you're a, a would-be Italian government, I think one of the remarkable things about um, Italy it, uh, and as it, as it spins out of the Second World War is that it didn't then break up again. You know, Italy's only... Italy's only five minutes old in sort of European nation terms, isn't it? That it didn't then it didn't then sort of defragment. You know what I mean? Or, well, or well, frag- one of the reasons it doesn't defragment is because there are the anti-fascist parties which are, are known about, and they're obviously underground, but they're kind of everyone knows they're there. Yeah. Um. And and obviously beyond the boundaries of Italy itself, you know, from America or whatever, they're they're not they're not silent at all. So they know they're there. But the king, when the king appoints Bodoglio, who is this yeah. guy who's is sort of seventy, nearly knocking seventy two, and when the king appoints him on the same day that he sacks. Mussolini, yeah. he says. Um, by the way, there can't be any political parties at all. You're just you're just head of government now. You just got to make this work and just get military people in and technocrats. Yeah. Technocratic just make it solution. Work, work. Yeah. Technocratic solution to the end of the war. And that 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 that's your back. And he goes, well, what about all the you know bureaucracies? Too many too many Republicans. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. and of course, and of course, King um, Vittorio Emanuele has just as much blood on his hands as you know as Mussolini. Anybody, really, because he else, let him so. let it happen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And Badoglio's got blood on his hands because he was the guy who, who it was he it was his idea to use chemical weapons on the Ethiopians in 1935-36. You know, it wasn't wasn't Mussolini's idea? No, no, no. Wasn't anyone else's idea? He said, "I tell you what, this is how we sort out these natives. We just gas yeah. them." Yeah, and everyone went okay, yeah. and they did. And this yeah. is Bedolio. This was his decision. Yeah, you know, and and he resigns as chief of staff of the Commando Supremo in December 1940 because of the complete disaster of 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 the Greek campaign. Yeah. So now he's head of the government. It's it's not something to really well, kind of well, instill I mean, a huge amount of confidence. I mean, is in, it? A way, in a it. way, that'd be like Petain being put in charge. Um, wouldn't it at the at, in Paris? In it's, it's the same thing. So it is. It's, so it's, it's a dictatorship. But you know, at least yeah. the fascist party was a party. You know, now there's nothing. There's no political yeah. parties whatsoever. <laughs> anyway, the whole thing is just a total shower, and they're in a total pickle of of, of awful proportions. And you're just thinking about these people, and and you, you know, yeah. I've got these little you know people who 
are in Rome or in Casino Town itself, and you know they're seeing bombers coming over, and they're just thinking, "What's the future hold?" You know, what, Jim, what, what, Jim. What, what, what do we think? This is in their diary. I mean, yeah, you know, it's just incredible. Think, do you think that one of the reasons, um, because one of the reasons that this is sort of not, yeah, and I'm not going to call it an untold story, the Sickable Boy, the forgotten story of, of uh, the war in Italy. <laughs> no, we're not going to do it. Hidden gonna, under a stone story. We're not, not going <laughs> to. <laughs> the lightly concealed story of. Uh, we're not going to do that. The single, uh, the, the <laughs> single raid that changed the course of World War Two. <laughs> no, oh God! I mean, how many single raids changed the yeah, course? Yeah, yeah. Of the, anyway, anyway, the point is the single most important secret agent <laughs> in the whole of World War Two. <laughs> do you think? Yeah, that some of this is because look, I mean. If you're if you're if you're coming at the Second World War as a sort of D-Day Dunkirk person, and I I tell you what, on on Friday, yeah, uh, this is a digression, but it's worth it. On Friday, I went to the um, Churchill War Rooms, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, took some friends over from always Canada good. who'd always yeah. wanted to go, and we were shown around. Um, absolutely amazing. You know, when we went to do the podcast, we went behind yeah. the we went behind the sort of jealousy glass, as I call it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we 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 did you know and all these school kids like like sort yeah. of peering at us through the glass. Saw and, the sugar cube in the top drawer and, and all that. And, yeah, all yeah, that. Yeah, and, yeah. and and we were shown right by Kate Clements, who runs the. It's her collection that that she runs the site. Right. It was absolutely amazing. She was just fantastic, and uh, to have another look and see other see things that hadn't struck me before. Um, yeah. So we went in the cabinet room, and, and there are two maps in the actual cabinet war cabinet room. There's the one global map behind them and then over the other side of the room. And obviously there, there would have been other maps where the glass is. There is a British Empire world shipping map, Jim. Yes. Which would have made, which would have made you go, you see, yes. it's, it's all about shipping. And then, it's all about shipping. Then we, we went in the map room itself. There's that, well, it's a global shipping thing with, um, you know, with uh, pinned on the notice board what ships are out, what the enemy expected strength is, you know, blah, blah, blah. All that, for the whole world. And then there's a map of the UK. And there were so many pinpricks all the way up and down the coast of the UK. And my friend Bjorn said, well, what, what, what's that? And I said, well, that's coal. That's coal being run from Newcastle down to London, around the coast. That's what those million, basically million pinpricks is. That's what's being, that's what's being protected there. Because it doesn't, you know, people know about Western approaches. They know about the convoys, but they don't know about the, you know, the, basically it's not, it, it's sort of not, it's internal English, internal British coal, coal trade rather than, although it's not internal, it's going around the coast, but you know what I mean? So yep. coal to keep the country going, basically. And when you look, you just look at that, you look at the effort that, that, that's that gone into that and that that's being traced in that room, along with absolutely everything else. Just a, It's just it's just absolutely amazing. You, again, you come back to this, and the people doing it, how do you motivate the pe people in there to do that? How do you mobilise them? How do you make sure that, that um, it's all functioning properly? Um, and this sort of, it, it, again, it, we're coming back to the, for me, we've got, you've got to come back to the, the, the software, the people. But anyway, the, the, the question I was going to ask, Jim, is do you think the reason Italy, because we talked when we were in the, when we were in the bunker, Kate said a thing about, well, if you're, a, if you're a Dunkirk D-Day Second World War person, um, you, you know, like someone who has that view of the Second World War, you forget it. It's not, that's not a world war. That's a Northern coast of France war. 
Right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It, it, please tell me about this world war. That if it's a, if it, you know, and not just because p- participants from all over the world come to the northern coast of France for D-Day. Yeah, because I've a, just been doing the, Ad, the, the Aberdeen to Lowestoft run. <laughs> exactly. But there's a, there's a world, there is a world war on, right? The, 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 yeah. And, and the minute you start looking at it in, in, in those terms, the thing, but does this mean, is this why Italy, because after all, D-Day to Berlin, that's a straight line. That, that, that you, morally, a straight line. Um, it's, it, happens, it happens within a year. It's a, it's a blow at the heart of the enemy that, that must be destroyed, blah, blah, blah. Italy, the sheer moral complications around it of, of a, you know, a country that's changed side, but has it to what extent, as you say, are the actual players involved, what side are they really on? They're probably on Italy's side, if they're on anyone's side, rather than the Allied side or the German side. The population are caught in this, the population who, you know, um, uh, uh, some of whom were entirely enthusiastic for fascism while the wind was blowing in the right direction, and are now are not. You've got, you've got Italy's a new country, so it's a patchwork politically. Communism, of course, is a... Is a is a thing that's get, that's getting going, republicanism, you know, blah, blah, blah. And that's just much more complicated than Himmler and Goebbels. <laughs> and, and and so it's a harder story to tell. And so it's not one that's really like got into people's imaginations. You know, if you if you come if you if you if you're a D-Day Dunkirk D-Day person, Italy is a sideshow. And one of the one of the advantages of of relegating Italy to a sideshow is you don't you've now got not to deal with that thorny question of what exactly is going on there. That's a sideshow. No, it's really flipping complex, right? It's, it's it's complex. It's complex militarily. It's complex strategically. You know why you're there, what you're doing. Are you there to tie them up, the Germans, or are you there to defeat them? You know what what are you really there for? Um, how are you mobilising your soldiers? What's going on with your morale? Where are you getting people from? They're coming because Italy is where a world war is being fought by the Allies. You know, there's Brazilians in Italy, you and people from New Zealand, people from as far away as possible. Twenty-four different nations fighting in the Allied exactly. armies by the so end, by, a, by May nineteen forty-four. So there's a world war going on in 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 Italy in a way that in Northwest Europe, perhaps with Americans, Canadians, Brits, and Poles and French, that there isn't. The, quite the same way and do you think do you think it's just because because i don't buy you know obviously we've been doing this a long time and i've spoken to you a lot i don't buy that it's a sideshow the mediterranean theater of course it isn't you don't spend that kind of effort on a sideshow sheer effort sheer industrial effort if you're spending your factories which is we go back to phillips who we mentioned at the start of this if you're using your factories you're using your factories to a great extent in 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 the mediterranean aren't you it's a total effort even if it's a, even if it's not your main effort, it's still so. Do you think it's because it's so complicated that it's one of the forgotten theatres of the Second World War? It, you, because because it's not a moral straight line for just for starters, it's not a moral straight line. Yeah, it, and I think that's why everyone just focuses on casino because it's 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 you know there was a monastery there, there was a big bloody battle. You can just focus on that and that kind of sort of covers you you're off ticking, it covers you off and that's ticking that box uh, and i think it's really really underselling the story because um, mm. you, you know as you as you point out you know all, all three parties are going in with huge conundrums yeah the italians are between a rock and a hard place what do we do you know how do we get how do we get out of the well, we've got ourselves in a mighty fine mess how do we well, get out of this how one do we, how do we get out of this one without descending into a complete civil war just off the recrimination alone you know 
I mean, exactly uh, that. Yeah. A, how, how, how do we? How do we? Get, without completely destroying our country, embroiling ourselves in civil war, how do we do this? So. So, so massive conundrum for the Italians. Yeah, I mean, it's a calzone shit sandwich of the highest order that they've served themselves, isn't it? Of the highest order. I mean, you, you literally couldn't get any higher. Yeah. Then, then the Germans have got a problem because of Italy. the whole point of Italy being there is so that they don't have to worry about the southern flank. Now they have to worry about the southern flank, and they don't know whether they can rely on them at all once they once they've. Yeah. You know, once they have sorted out, and it means they're going to have to kind of pour in lots and lots of troops if they're going to maintain the the um, yep. the the. the geographical reach that they've already got or else they're going to have to retreat and that's obviously not something that they want to countenance yep. so that but where are they going to find these troops from and how that going to how's that going to function yeah so and, and to what limit do they do do they do the peace of remedy line or do they go south for rent blah 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 you know all this sort of stuff and how do they how do they just add yet another theater to their already burgeoning demands of war yeah, yeah. For the Allies, it's like, well, what do we do now? We know we're going to go into, we're going to do the cross-channel invasion. We know we've got the Pacific War going on. We know we've got everything going on in Southeast Asia. But we've also got a huge amount of resources here in the Mediterranean. We can't just do nothing until May next year yeah. in the Mediterranean in the West. So, so we've got to do something. But is doing something with what we've got going to be enough? Or <laughs> are we going to then get ourselves sucked into something that we then can't stop? You know, so everyone's got, the, everyone's got these dilemmas. <laughs> And the Italian campaign starts with everyone pissed off, yeah. basically, yeah, before yeah, you've yeah, even yeah. started, with a huge amount of jeopardy for all parties, with a huge amount of risk for all parties. Yeah. So from a storyteller's point of view, I think that's rather cool because it means you're, you're setting off with with a huge amount of jeopardy yeah. for, for, from everyone involved. And, and from a kind of storytelling point of view, what's not to like? From a point of view of the poor bastards that had to live through this, whether you're Italian, German, whether you're Hans Golder whether, with yeah. his Werfer battery, or whether you're American, Canadian, New Zealander, whatever, the whole thing is an absolute horror show of gargantuan proportions. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it is all about individuals, and it is all about the people that have to do it. And, and because of the mountains, because it negates machinery and modernity, mm. there is a kind of sort of levelling of the play off, playing field, which yeah. happens in Italy, which yeah. is not apparent elsewhere, and certainly not apparent in Northwest Europe, and certainly not apparent actually in the um, in the Pacific, either or Southeast Asia. But, I mean, maybe this Where material also... advantage is a huge advantage. Here it just isn't. And, yeah. and, and so... So... For the guys on the ground, especially, you're having to do much more with less than is expected by your way, you know, from the Allied point of view of their way of war. Yeah. We're going to take a break. I've, I've just written something down It's because uh, I had a thought then also. About, okay. We'll take a break. We'll be back in a second. Welcome back to We Have Ways of Make You Talk with me, Al Murray and James Holland. Um, and as as you you probably, if you're hanging on by your fingernails, you've been through several digressions already. But there is a there's a point emerging, isn't there, Jim? I think the reason Italy, I, I was struck by what you just said about how material advantage, all those things fade away. They're not important. They level the playing field. You know, if you're if you're defending a mountainside, you're, it, that's old. That's as old as warfare itself. You've got the high ground. You can see what the other guy's doing. You have the advantage, and just the distances have increased. You know, it's that thing about warfare that basically, as the technology comes in, the distances increase. Is the yep. uh, you know, I think maybe another reason Northwest Europe, uh, uh, you know, is the thing that everyone's sort of that's dominated the narrative is that the Cold War was expected to be fought like that with giant mechanized armies, and that that mm. it, if if things came to blows in Germany in in you know the. 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, whatever. It was going mm. to be in a mechanised army style and that therefore the story of what's happening in this sort of mountainous 
um, uh, uh, encounter of uh, uh, the Allies and the Axis in, in Italy is kind of irrelevant. There's nothing to learn from it. So there's the, 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 there's nothing to look at really. Um, if mm. you're if you're coming at it through a cold through a cold war lens, that you know it's a thing you're not it's a thing you've not got to countenance. It's this kind of mountain warfare and all. Do, do you see what I mean? Was in fact. I do completely. I'm, I'm sure that comes into play. I, I also it think it's something to. as something as basic as, as tourism, though. Yeah. You, you know, and, yeah. and this yeah, is yeah. the bold point about, about the Battle of Atlantic. You know, yeah. you, you're not really going to go to the kind of mid Atlantic meeting point yeah. um, because it's in the middle of the Atlantic, and you know, <laughs> how do you get there? You know, <laughs> no VLRs, <laughs> VLR liberators around anymore. So, so, so forget that. Um, and then if you if you're going to fly to America, you go up via, via Greenland anyway. Yeah. So that doesn't work. And yeah. then. <laughs> but what you can do is you can walk on a very nice beach, uh, yeah. whether it be Dunkirk, whether it be Sword, <laughs> Omaha, or Utah, or Gino, yeah. you know. And 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 the, do you know what the great thing about Normandy is? It's got really nice food and it's got Calvados and beer, <laughs> you know. So I think there's a lot of that going on, which is why no one goes into the interior of Normandy because yeah. you know you're there, you just go on the beach. Yeah. So I, 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 I'm not sure how many people. I would suggest I would have thought more people go to visit casino with a with a war hat on than they do the Reichsfold. Yeah. Yeah. For example. Yeah, yeah. You know, but that's, I wonder but how that's, many people go to the bridge at Remagen. But that's the weather. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but but, it, it, but I think the food the food's better in Italy than in Germany. Yeah, well. yeah, <laughs> you know, and, and if you want to do you know and you want to do Battle of Britain, you know, you can you can go to Duxford and see Spitfires yeah, while well, Big yeah, and Hill and see yeah. Peter Monk's mob yeah, yeah. kind of doing their stuff every day. Yeah, so I think it's yeah. just a bit more visual. Yeah. People people want sort of instant gratification, don't yeah, they? They do. Right. Um now we've something we have to talk about, which is yes. uh, we touched on them earlier, which is the the reprints. The Second yeah. World War Voices reprints that that um I'm, that we've done. I'm going to. I'm going to say that we've done this. Um, yeah, we've this, done this with 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 with, um, with Penguin, who've been, who've been yeah, brilliant. Well, Penguin, Penguin. Uh, it's a Bantam Press, really. It is yeah. Penguin. I know, but it's yeah. it's it's Bill Scott Carr um, uh, and Eloisa at um, uh, uh, Bantam that have sort of done the hard yards from their side of things. Yeah. Um, but because they're all part of the big Penguin Random House consortium these days, you can shove a yeah. penguin on it. Yeah. Um, and why not? Because it's the most iconic of book labels, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, but, yeah. Th- but the idea, when we when we started this, what we want to do is we want to get these gems that have, um, that have been sort of consigned to the kind of, you know, they're, they're long out of print. Yeah. And, and give them a new life, but but we, what we didn't want to do was that go down that whole kind of sort of slightly faux retro kind of Gil Sands kind no. of rejacketing, which sort of says says you know we're trying to make this look like something from the nineteen fifties or thirties. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What we want to do is make it look classy and really nice. So these are these are paperbacks, but they've got little they've the got end. little. They've got little end papers that fold Lovely. out like beautiful a hard end bag. papers and yeah, beautiful and beautifully done and. Um, you and I have done little intros, haven't we? So you've done yep. Chindits because that yep. was your your baby, and I've done um, Eclipse by Alan Moorhead and Sands of Dunkirk. And the plan is to do a, a whole load of them. They've all got the same look. Yeah, they've all got the same sort of branding. There's sort um, of ra- racing green stripe around them and on the on on the back cover. Yes, um, and I think the thing to do is it's going to be green for um for for, for army stories for land, um, blue for and lighter blue for yeah. RAF. Yeah, I think. I mean, or, I've, or been, I've been. I've uh, been. I mean, I read Chindit as an audio book for the Patreons, um, uh, uh, and and that book that book came to me via a friend who 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 knew Richard yep. Rhodes, Rhodes James had met him and had given him a volume, given him this volume, and said, "Oh yes, I would. You know, don't like to mention it, but I I I, I did write about it." Um, yeah. And 
it's an extraordinary it's an extraordinary account because because what's interesting is he was um Rhodes James was the signals officer so he knew what was going on yeah. so unusually because very often you know if you've got first hand accounts people you know and it's this is the thing infantrymen don't know where they are they don't know who's on their left side who's on their right side you know they don't they often they don't know what's going on full stop right except right. from a sort of start but line. man does so he knew what was going on so he knew he knew what was going on uh, sort of across the board because everything was going through him um and it's it's i mean you know the the, the main thing is the hardship is the it's the bit that that makes you sort of mm. make, make, makes me wince, and then. But I've been reading this week. I have been as well as as well as reading Sledgehammer. I've been reading Alan Moorhead's um, Eclipse. Well, isn't it interesting? Wow. Isn't it interesting? Well, yeah. Because I think the interesting thing about Alan Moorhead. So Alan Moorhead was an Australian, yeah. Um, but he wrote for the Daily Express, and Daily Express yeah. was a, was the most popular sort of popular. Well, it's the most popular paper in the UK at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and was really good. I've read a lot of a lot of the the wartime editions of the Daily Express, and it's a really really good paper. So it's a bit yeah. more sort of you know, it's not quite as stiff and and formal as the Times or the Telegraph or whatever. Yeah. It's got more pictures and yeah, you know, they got really really good writers, and he was one of their leading correspondents, and he was there with Eighth Army for most of the most of the Desert War. Yeah, and wrote three books on it, and they're all absolutely fantastic. Some of the descriptions of the battles that he's yeah. witnessing are just amazing. Uh, and I think you can buy the kind of you know Alan Moorhead's African trilogy as a kind yeah. of whole by I think it's published by Castle. Yeah. Um, but Eclipses is one about you know what follows. So it's sort of you know it's from 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 um, Sicily, Salerno, yeah. you know, yeah. all the way up through Italy, and then then Northwest Europe, and and it's and it's just completely fascinating and yeah. and. The interesting thing about him, and you can see why, you can see where a lot of it, you know, I always thought it was sort of why the kind of post-war sort of downer on the Second World War, and particularly kind of Allied effort on it, was down to, Britain's case, post-Empire guilt, you know, collapse as a great power, rise of the United States and Soviet Union, Cold War, Germans the only ones who fought the soviets etc etc yeah but actually what you're seeing is that so he's a, you know he's a, he's in his late 20s early 30s or whatever he is in 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 the 1940s he's intelligent he has got privileged access yeah so he's having interviews with generals and you know press yep. conferences and he's going to those so he's he's getting a kind of insider view that a lot of people is, is getting but what he doesn't understand is the operational level at all i mean he no just doesn't get it he doesn't understand about global shipping crisis he doesn't understand about um the constraints he doesn't understand about the huge he does appreciate the global nature of the war but not in the same way that you know you can do as a historian you know yeah. decades later yeah yeah and so from, from from his point of view what he sees is a lot of crapness he sees a lot of slowness a lot of ponderousness a lot of yeah. um um a, a lot of wastage you know he he gets to see dead bodies and young men who are about to be slaughtered and so there's a, a and because he's educated and because of the access he's getting but because of the limited access he's getting he's getting very much a sort of slightly lions led by donkeys kind of view of the second world war which i think is really really interesting and you suddenly realize that actually people like him are are huge contributors to that yeah, that that movement that you, that you can see where Max and everyone and yeah. Carlo Deste are yeah. getting, uh, you know, it is reinforcing the views that they think. I mean, yeah. Alan Moorhead and Max Hastings are absolutely like for like, aren't they? And their interests, their mm. concerns, yeah, yeah. Um, where they're coming from, yeah. Then they're both journalists, of course. Yeah, 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 
Yes, but I mean, it's fascinating. It is really fascinating and beautifully written, and, and, yeah. and parts of it are just stunning. I think. Yeah. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. really, really worth a look. I mean, really it, worth it, a read. But he's, there's a brilliant bit where he follows Monty around before D-Day, right? Yes. And, uh, I mean, I suppose I've heard 50 generals addressing their soldiers, most of them with much better speeches than this. Indeed, I suppose this speech in print is just about as bad as one could hope to read outside the hearty naivety of the kindergarten. Spoken by Montgomery to the soldiers who were about to run into the Atlantic Wall, it had magic. No mention of God, of divine assistance, no mention of England, no, not a single eternal verity, no hate, no question of revenge. But I doubt whether the soldiers remember the words. The words were the least of it. The whole performance succeeded because it was the expression of a wanted emotion. Without their consciously knowing it, the speech adopted an attitude the soldier wanted to have. At the end of it, they felt they knew Montgomery as if he, as he believed he knew them. They felt they were, they were thinking on the same plane as he was and they would indeed go into the assault together. I mean, it's very interesting because that has a, that's basically saying, I don't know how he did it because the, you know, the, you can already, you can hear it in there already. This idea mm. that somehow Montgomery's performing sort of con trick. That, that it's, yep. You know what I mean? That he's, 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 he's sprinkling, sprinkling doubt on the thing even before, even before it, it the ink's dry in a way. And I think that's, I mean, you're right. I think it's very, it's, it, it, it is very interesting that he's of that sort of, um, angle i mean well, you know he's he's just a certain type isn't he yeah. you know he he's 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 well i think well the fact read, that he's, a, he's interested he's well traveled he's worldly he's a brilliant writer i think the fact he's australian. australian is a big part of it oh yeah you bloody poms you know i think there's there's some of that kind of uh kind of leery look at um uh, you know and that that brings you an end of empire feeling given singapore doesn't it if you're an australian you know yeah that, you know, yeah i guess so you know that i guess so. up, i thought it was a I, I just it's think it's a book. really, really good. It's, it's a really, really, really good, good book. book. And it's good first it is good first draft of history stuff. And there are there are several people like that writing writing at this time in the kind of this stuff. I mean the the Express is more you know, the Express was a broadsheet, wasn't it? Um at the time. And it and it's sort of broadsheets then are what broadsheets are kind of like now, aren't they? Yeah. Whereas broadsheets... There's this brilliant bit, this brilliant bit here where he's yeah. talking about the crossing of the Rhine. He goes, March yeah. 18th, General Dempsey perched his map on a wooden oh, bench at his so camp good. near yeah. Venlo and explained, We will cross the Rhine on the night of the 23rd. Four corps are under my command. 30 corps will cross in the north near Rees and continue northward for the capture of Emmerich. 12 corps will cross in the centre at Zanton while the commandos turn south to capture Vasil. On the following morning, the 18th United States Airborne Corps, with the 6th British Airborne Division under command, will drop near the Issel River on the opposite bank of the Rhine and secure the bridges there. Finally, the 8th Corps will follow through, and I cannot yet tell you how far they will go. The 9th American Army will also attack on my right flank and proceed eastward along the Ruhr. I asked, this well might be the last battle. Yes. Dempsey was an exact and energetic technician. Ever since landing in Normandy... Whenever we met him, one was astonished at the precision to which he elucidated a plan and brought a map to life. It's just... Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's that's the privileged access. Yeah. But, of course, what... They're getting that privileged access to generals, which most people don't get, but the generals are only telling them what they want to tell them and what they feel is safe to oh, tell yeah, them. Yeah, 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 so it's obviously... It's, it's, it's severely limited to what yeah. they're getting. Yeah. So they're therefore putting... Kind of quite often putting two and two together and creating five. Yeah, yeah. But there's that, I mean, he goes on to describe Dempsey uh, uh, um, and it's really, 
There was a certain greyhound quality about him. Most people spoke too slowly for him. And in, in nearly every meeting I had with him, his thoughts were racing impatiently ahead of the conversation. I mean, so, yeah, I've got other shit to do than talk to a journalist. Thanks very much. Yes, yes, I'm trying yes, to run yes, an army basic. here. Um, yeah. He hated I've got crowds. a water window, exactly. you know. He hated crowds. He hated displays. He avoided the radio and rousing orders of the day. He was unable to relax and talk while his photograph was being taken, since that would have meant concentrating on two things at the same time, which is inefficient. Yeah, well, I know about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For him, the emotional, <laughs> inspirational method of handling things was untidy and imprecise. He had an excellent memory. And every time I went to him, he had a neat list of things he wanted to talk about. You bet he did, because he's dealing with a journalist. So Dem- Dempsey's not a f- Dempsey's not just going to have a like a wide ranging no. chat, is he? He's like yeah. these are the these are the points I need to discuss with you, and that this is all you're going to get. Yeah, I think it. I, I, I mean, well, needless to say, I'm going to be following. Um, I'm going to be following Moorhead in Italy. Yeah. Um, I followed him a lot. I, I used him when I was doing my North Africa book. I, yeah. I think he's I think he's a fascinating character. Yeah. His daughter Caroline's also a writer and a, and a very oh, really? good one. And and yeah, and, and it's thanks to her that we got the book. She had to give us permission to yeah. to, to reprint and then the it. Ne- and, and, and then the next you know, one, the f- third of the series, is um, yeah. Well, you know, Richard Collier. He's just so. This is my intro- this was my introduction. To, so Richard Collier was really my introduction to Second World War because right. I read Eagle Day. Right, right, um, okay. which is his yeah, great yeah. book about the Battle yeah. of Britain. Yeah, and Sansa Dunkirk is the one I think he wrote before Eagle Day. Yeah, um, and it really was my introduction to to Dunkirk as well. So he is of a breed of people that were operating in the nineteen fifties and sixties, and they were journalists. And yeah. um, I think he was in, in I don't know press and propaganda corps or something mm. you know, for the British Army and yeah. in in the Second World War. But but. Or maybe he was in the RF or something, I can't remember. Anyway, yeah, yeah. The, the point is he's a journalist like Cornelius Ryan, like Alan Moorhead. Yeah. And they're adopting this different style of writing, which is sort of reportage. And and again, it's very kind of sort of bottom-up t- telling of the story. Yeah. And what he's done is in the 90, late 1950s, early 1960s, he's just interviewed hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of survivors. Uh, and they're all sorts. They're, you know, they're French locals, they're French army, yeah. they're British, they're Germans as well. And so he's got all these voices. And it's all about, you know, I mean, it's just, you know, I, I've, I'm shamelessly ape his style, I have to say. I, I mean, he's, <laughs> I he's one, I one of his... To, I didn't want to... Um, I'm glad you said that. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. Yeah, so so look at this. Is, I mean, this is actually classic. This is this is how you start a book. Yeah. Afterwards, looking back to that evening, it was the silence that Augusta Hersey remembered most. Already, as on any other day in the cafe, she had helped Maman array fresh coffee filters behind the worn zinc bar, polished oilcloth tabletops. Yet still, the cafe lepi door stood silent and empty. It was as if the shadowed rooms, like the city itself, were listening for something. I mean. <sighs> You're straight in there. Human yeah. story. There's no kind of. Then we did this. Then we did this. Fortieth Brigade moved over to here. Well, you know, and she start, forget all that. Uh, and uh, uh, she starts the next chapter. Of course, Augusta yeah. Hersey had no time to make up her mind. It was her nature to accept what fortune offered. At twenty-one, her life had followed no set pattern. The world had willed it otherwise. Her father's daughter, boyish, impetuous. I mean, it's it. it it's about uh, uh, you know. It is about. It's very much about the people, I suppose, in a way, because because if if you're if you were reading this in the in the uh, it's just from the fifties, isn't it? If you were reading this, then you'd have read yeah, the newspaper. Yeah, something you'd like have read that. The, you'd read you'd have read the newspaper reports, and you, so you'd have seen the sort of arrows on sixty one, sixty one. So this is filling in the people. It's coloring. It's coloring it in, isn't it? 
And yeah, but it's 20, you know, he's, he's so, so let's say he's, a, he's publishing it in 1921, he starts re- researching it in 1959, yeah. you know, so he's writing to all these people, 58, 59. So he's yeah. he, within two decades of it happening, he's he's writing to all these people, getting their, their account. And what yeah. they're doing is he's interviewing some of them, but mostly they're writing him letters and reports. Yeah. And he's just yeah. putting it all together. I mean, it's, it's, it's a fabulously entertaining book. Yeah. And, 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 you know, it's not big on... You know the whys and wherefores. You know that's that's for other people to do. This is about the human experience yeah. of the Dunkirk evacuation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's terrific. It's really, really good. Yeah, it's. A, it's it, I it's, just love it. It's an. It's and actually, a, and actually, it's inspired me to. I've. I thought about. It. I can't remember if I mentioned this to you. I've. I'm, I've got an idea to do. So is this book, did I tell you about the Killer Angels no. in America? No. Okay, so the Killer Angels book, I think it's called <laughs> My Michael Shara, S-H-A-A-R-A. And it's a big hit in the United States, and it's all about the Battle of Gettysburg right. in July 1863. Right. But everyone in it is real. All the research is absolutely second done. There's no fictional characters whatsoever, but it is a novel. But it is a novel. But it is a novel, because he's giving thoughts to Chamberlain and, yeah. you know, Jeb Stewart and right. Pickett and all the rest of it. Yeah. Um, and... So I suddenly thought, actually, wouldn't it be cool to do a novel on Dunkirk, like the eight days from the Sunday the twenty sixth to Sunday the third or whatever it is? But you're doing, of, but you're doing Bertram Ramsey. You're in in his head. You're in his head. So sort of like and you're in Bill Tennant's head, and you're in Hitler's head, and you're so, in all these people. And so you, 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 your prologue is the whole order, and then it starts off with the kind of National Day of Prayer in London, and you do the kind of you know you one minute you're in yeah. you're in Downing Street, and and you you know you're in you're in the garden with Halifax and Churchill. Yeah, you can yeah, yeah. you suddenly you, you can, can, actually, do you can that. have that conversation. Yeah, you can finally. have that conversation. You can finally have that conversation, and and everything is you know the, the research is second to none. Obviously, goes that saying everyone in it is real. There's not a single person in it who is not a real person. Yeah. But you are giving them thoughts. You're getting inside their head. And you just do it as this kind of boom, boom, boom. And if it works, of course, then, then you know, next stop D-Day. <laughs> Jim Woolworth you know, gripped, gripped the controls of the all glider. All that. He'd yeah, rehearsed yeah, yeah. this a thousand times in his head. Yeah, He remembered Sicily, gosh. Yeah, 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 that yeah, was yeah. wonderful. That was a yeah, night yeah. to forget. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Right. He suddenly well, made the greatest landing of World War II. Well, the, word, the, the one landing that changed the course, <laughs> the of, course of the whole war. war. <laughs> so they are Chindit by Richard Rhodes James, Sands of Dunkirk by Richard Collier, and Alan Moorhead's Eclipse in our second yeah, and, Voices and, of the Second World War, Second World War Voices series. And there's obviously a fantastic, lovely new hardback, um, which people might want to consider for stockings and Christmas, um, which is called Command by Al Murray. <laughs> Bugger off. But if, you, but if you want a little kind of, you know, something to, to go on the side, a well, little hors d'oeuvre. Well, and also I did use um, Richard Very Rose, reasonably I did, priced. I did use um, Chindit, Richard Rudd James' book. as a, um, I, I used him as one of my sort of witnesses to um, Wingate. Yeah. In the Wingate chapter, um, and and drew on that. And if so, if you if if you because that that this, this fr- a friend of mine, yeah, um, uh, read Command and and I and I sent him Chindit with it, yeah. and uh, and he's he's going. This is this is incredible. Just the yeah. just the um the stuff they're going the stuff they're going through physically in the jungle is that's plenty to be getting on with. I mean, that's the thing yeah. about it, isn't it? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But they're, they're, and they're lovely looking books. They're nice yeah. books to have, I think. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to end with a little bit of uh, uh, with the old breed. Yeah, go on. Em. Aiming the automatic at the centre of the head, I pressed the grip, safety, as I also squeezed the trigger slightly to take up the slack. The thought raced through my mind that he was too close to use his grenade, so he would probably use a bayonet or knife on me. 
My hand was steady even though I was scared. It was he or I. What's the password? I said in a low voice. No answer. Password, I demanded as my finger tightened on the trigger. The big pistol would fire and buck with recoil in a moment, but to hurry and jerk the trigger would mean a miss for sure. Then he'd be on me. It's a sledgehammer, stammered the figure. I eased up on the trigger. It's it's Delo, Jay Delo. You got any water? Jay, why didn't you give me the password? I nearly shot you, I gasped. He saw the pistol and moaned. Oh, Jesus, as he realised what nearly happened. I thought you knew it was me, he said weakly. Jay was one of my closest friends. He was a Gloucester veteran and knew better than to prowl around the way he had just done. If my finger had applied that last bit of pressure to that trigger, Jay would have died instantly. It would have been his own fault, but that wouldn't have mattered to me. My life would have been ruined if I'd killed him, even under those circumstances. My right hand trembled violently as I lowered the big automatic. I had to flip on the thumb safety with my left hand. My right thumb was too weak. I felt nauseated and weak and wanted to cry. Jay crept over and sat on the edge of the gun pit. I'm sorry, Sledgehammer. I thought you knew it was me, he said. After handing him a canteen, I shuddered violently and thanked God that Jay was still alive. Just how in hell could I tell it was you in the dark with nips all over the place, I snarled. Then I reamed out one of the best friends I ever had. I mean, you know, that would... Wow. That would, that would do me. <laughs> yeah, for, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that experience, that's plenty. Um, it's all right. Can I go home now? I mean, honestly, it's incredible. Mm. Anyway, um, thanks everyone for listening. Eclipse by Alan Moorhead, The Sands of Dunkirk, Chindit by Richard Collier and uh, Richard Rhodes, James Chindit. Um, uh, Second World War voices. Um, that we have ways of making you talk reprints. I mean, yeah. Who'd have thought when are. we started? That's what they are. Who thought when we started War Waffle three and a half years ago it would lead to this? Well, what do you know? What do you know? Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you again very soon. Bye bye. Cheerio.